Hello, my name is Fliss Gust and welcome to Journeys in Jazz. In this bonus episode, we are taking a sidestep away from the jazz genre to talk to somebody who of course has an appreciation of jazz, has studied it and played it, but has a successful career composing, arranging and performing in a number of different musical styles. Multi-instrumentalist, composer and arranger Kelly Pratt has a huge amount of experience in the music industry. He was a member of indie rock band Beirut and has toured with Arcade Fire. He leads his own group Bright Moments and has been working as a ranger, conductor and multi-instrumentalist with Father John Misty for the past few years. This podcast was recorded last year, 2019, before I began recording Journeys in Jazz. I don't often get the chance to see Kelly and wanted to make the most of the opportunity and I'm excited to finally be able to share this interview with you. It's going to make you feel nostalgic for music festivals though, as it was recorded backstage at Green Man Festival last August 2019. Lockdown makes it feel like a lifetime ago. Apologies for the ambient noise, but perhaps it'll bring back happy memories of festivals for you. I'd like to share with you that I first met Kelly when I performed in the horn section with Father John Misty on a crazy Saturday at Glastonbury Festival in 2017. Kelly was leading the ensemble, he was also playing loads of instruments and had arranged a lot of the music. We had a short rehearsal in a tent beforehand next to the John Peel stage where we were playing. The stage noise was so loud you couldn't hear yourself play, which is often the case if you want to rehearse at a festival, I guess. Kelly was so cool and calm and clear, I was really impressed by him. So, enough of me, without further ado, let's head to the Brecon Beacons. We are backstage at the wonderful Green Man Festival, where I'm joined by Kelly, taking a few minutes out of his time to come and join me to have a little chat about life. Indeed. Thank you very much for being My here, pleasure, Kelly. My pleasure, yeah. You're from Kentucky, right? Kentucky. Where did you grow up? Were you there, there the whole time? Yeah, I grew up there. It wasn't like a hugely musical family. You know, my parents listened to music like Motown and the Beatles and stuff like that, but it wasn't ever like massively important part of our lives. Like my mom sung in the church choir and eventually I started playing like in the church orchestra as well and stuff uh-huh. like that. I started piano when I was like five. Yeah. Um, and then moved over to trumpet when I was in fifth grade. Uh-huh. Did that all through middle school, high school, marching band, which was good-ish. <laughs> and then once I got to college, I had no idea what I wanted to do. So it's like, oh, might as well study music because I don't really have any anything else that piques my interest too much. At that point, you were playing just trumpet? or were you yeah, playing, yeah, pretty much. Well, in college, I was a music education major at first. So they kind of make you learn all the instruments like uh, so all the woodwinds and all the other brass and strings as well percussion it's just a very basic education like here's how you hold it here's how you make a sound and more along the lines of this is how you sort of teach somebody how it's meant to be played and did that lead you to become the multi-instrumentalist that you are now i think it certainly helped you know i wasn't starting from ground zero when like i decided to start branching out a little bit I certainly wasn't proficient on anything other than trumpet, really, and piano. When you were studying, how long was it before you realized that you quite liked to take it further? It wasn't until like my third year of university when I really started getting into jazz and started mm. taking it a lot more seriously. But even at that point, um, I had switched majors and I had moved to arts administration. So they didn't have a music business program at my school, so that was the closest I could get. Nonprofit arts administration. When I graduated, I actually moved to New York to work at a record label. Was was that where you met 
the band members from Beirut? For six years, I worked at Verve Records, um, jazz label. Mm-hmm. And I arrived one month before September 11th, so you know that kind of changed the whole scene in New York a lot. But also, interestingly, you know, when I moved to New York in 2001, music piracy was not at the stages at now certainly um, people were burning CDs and you know there was the infancy of Napster um, yeah. and file sharing but it was only a few people knew how to do that college kids basically mm-hmm. and I saw in my six years there it go from you know record sales being at the top to completely by the time I left six years later it was I mean it's worse now yeah. Uh, but yeah in 2000, 2006 It's when I left, and you could start to just see it. I mean, even in 2004, 2003, yeah. 2004, it's when it really started the bottom, deteriorate quite yeah, quickly. Yeah, yeah, very quickly. And when I started, there was 35 people that worked there, and then uh-huh. when I quit, there was like 12, I think. And then it completely went under. Now it's back with like a skeleton crew of folks. But did that kind of set a few alarm bells in your head like maybe the money was to be made in live performance um, as well, to you know, recorded I, music I don't think it was really ever about money I mean certainly you have to sustain a, a career and, and make enough money to live when I was working at Verve I started to make more contacts meet more people start playing different types of music so I went from playing mostly like free improvisation to more band sort of things playing a lot of different styles of music I joined like this indie rock band called the Silent League which was like a um, Mercury Rev sort of side project of sorts and yeah doing all that stuff while I was still working at Verve doing like little tours here and there and sometime around 2006 I got a call from Beirut's manager who we had a mutual friend in He was like, yeah, there's this, this guy in New Mexico. There was no band yet. He's like, he's considering moving to New York and putting a band together. Would you want to, like, play along? Or, you know, it wasn't really an audition situation. More just like, he wants to augment with a few people. Are you interested yeah. in doing it? So I listened to the record. I was like, yeah, this is fantastic. It was really along the lines of things I was interested in, sort of Eastern European music. Uh, it's not really klezmer, but I was listening to a lot of klezmer at that point. And... You know, that sort of Jewish... The mu- music built on the Jewish scale. Yeah. Um, and It's a real mix, isn't it, listening to it? There's a lot of influences from around the world, it, it sounds to me. Yeah, like yeah, in that band and certainly with, with my own uh, experience as well. Um, and so he, Zach, moved from New Mexico with a couple of people. I think they, were, they played one show without me and the, then me and a good friend of mine joined. And yeah, that was 2006... It was pretty interesting just seeing that band, the real silver age of internet bands, you know? Um, So Beirut really caught on with blogs, and, you know, by the time we played our third or fourth show or something, it was, like, sold out, lines down the block. Wow. Um, And it was like, wow, what is happening here? This this is really, this means something to... Realizing the power of the internet, I guess, with that. For sure, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um, it, it was really that time, 2005, 2006, is when Pitchfork really started to come of age. And, like, there was, you know, Brooklyn Vegan in New York, and there was, just, there was so many blogs, and people read them, you know, and paid attention to them. And, and still, at that point, too, were buying music still you know yeah. for for us at least initially like for me because I wasn't involved with the recording of that first record 
uh, it was very much like a live situation where we we sort of took the record and made it a little more rowdy and rambunctious and sort of unhinged. The shows just kept getting bigger and bigger and started traveling, you know, over here. Was that the start of your touring sort of life? Pretty much. I had done a couple minor tours. You know, it's hard to do any massive scale touring. First of all, like, I still had a job, so, like, Mm -hmm. I couldn't go sleep on people's floors for no money. There was one Beirut tour that I missed about half of, and subsequently I ended up quitting Verve, like, a couple months later, and I wish I had quit earlier or gotten laid off so that I could have done that first tour, but... But, yeah, whatever. You can't look too far in the rearview mirror. But you were there. You did it. You yeah, did it for, yeah. And for quite some time as well. You were Yeah, a, well, a so what happened band, really was around the end of 2006, there was a really large round of layoffs at, at Verve. And this was right around the time of the first Beirut tour. And uh, that tour actually ended up getting, well, it didn't get canceled, but Zach canceled a bunch of the dates on that tour our first like euro tour right around that time of the layoffs i was considering like well maybe i should just leave the job and then go on tour because starting to get a little bit bigger and start to make a little bit more money but then after we canceled those dates i was like no that's i'm not gonna do that i'll I'll stick it out here for as long as i can at the record label arcade fire who i was friends with a few of them like just like happened to send me an email right after that tour ended yeah. He was like, hey, can you recommend somebody that would want to play trumpet with us on this tour? And I was like, well, I'll recommend myself. Like, Perfect. I would love to do that. <laughs> and around this time as well, I was starting to branch out more and play different instruments. Like with, with Beirut, I was doing like French horn and euphonium. Started very much with like brass, um, ukulele and stuff like that. And so with Arcade Fire, I joined them for the Neon Bible tour, which was couple years year and a half and I quit Verve at that point because it was you know the the timing just happened to be so perfect because if I hadn't have that big round of layoffs hadn't happened I probably you know would have maybe thought twice about it but at that point it was like this is it's not really going anywhere this label thing that's it and it sounds like those were big opportunities yeah that's certainly I mean this it was a huge tour it was like a year and a half or two year commitment enough money to where I could quit the, the day job at this point also like session work was starting to happen more and uh, more gigs in New York like especially at this time like way more than I am now I was like really busy in New York like every night I had like a recording session or a gig or something Um, there was a lot of projects happening that I was involved with Um, that subsequently sort of toned down a little bit after I started touring more because people forget that you're a a local you know and yeah, when you're gone, you, you don't do any of that stuff. It's kind of changed now. I keep like a mobile recording rig with me at all times. So if somebody has something that they need done, I can do it on tour. Oh, great. I mean, in all of the bands we've talked about so far, you've, you've done some arranging work, right? You've arranged... Arcade Fire, I didn't do too much arranging with. Um, okay. There were songs that didn't have horns on them. So Colin Stetson, who was the other horn player at the time, and I worked out sort of our own parts I wouldn't call it like massive arranging uh, more just try and figure out your own parts yeah I mean I was doing arranging for other people and writing my own stuff um, but I I never really did massive arrangements for Arcade Fire once I got back 
involved with Beirut at the end of that cycle of Neon Bible. I did a lot more arranging for Beirut at that time, like for the records and for live stuff. Like with we did a couple few shows with like orchestra and like we would do shows where we augmented with a string quartet or like you know a bunch of different brass players or something um and is that a skill that you taught yourself or is it a skill that no you i studied it in school college. for sure yeah. um or- orchestration and arranging and counterpoint and composition like i i, I took all that stuff in school uh, arranging for indie rock or rock or whatever any any sort of popular music it's mostly what i've done it, it involves it's totally different obviously than or- orchestral arranging you know yeah. you're, you're really complimenting the guitars and whatever vocals rather than taking center stage well you've been on tour now with a lot of different bands currently with father john misty yeah often yeah in and out of numerous locations flying all over the world how do you make how do you make touring life work for you it must take its toll on your health yeah it does i mean i this tour's i've been really bad um but we just did a tour in the States in June where, like, I ran every day, like, Amazing. three or four miles. Um, and it's actually really easy to eat healthy on... It's easy to eat really bad on tour. <laughs> if you're not, like, playing bars, yeah, sleeping on people's floors, which I don't think I would do that right now at no, this point anyways. No, but you don't need if, to you're, do if that. you're staying in good hotels and you're playing in decent spots, like, the yeah. food, you're going to have options to eat healthily. Um, do you find you get into a routine? With it oh bit. yeah if you're on like a euro festival run it's way harder to yeah stay healthy and run and eat healthy yeah. and get sleep you know like yeah. i find it a little bit easier in the states when i'm over here it's usually like a festival tour or something yeah and those are just harder and you start off like a tour with no sleep because you're taking a red that's eye. it um, yeah i don't find it too hard to to keep it straight on tour um That's maybe great. drink a little too much but don't we all yeah <laughs> <laughs> so does it i mean all the flights and all, all of that sort of thing does that is that a concern for you guys sometimes the kind of the carbon footprint print side of things oh yeah like, i think about that all the time it's i mean it's horrible for the environment what we do like you know you look out here and it's just garbage everywhere and uh the flights the buses the everything it's just like the plastic that you see yeah it's it's people are getting on top of that people are getting on top of it and you know a lot of bands will offset their flights they'll they'll buy the you know carbon offsets touring in a bus is like somewhat eco-friendly i suppose um 12 15 people in there or whatever but you run the risk of being hypocritical Especially, you know, I'm not saying Josh runs the risk of being hypocritical. His lyrics very much address uh, the issues uh, that we face today, climate change being one. Um, And it's, you run the risk of being hypocritical if you're flying all these places and singing a song about climate change. Like, but at the same time, you know, artists, you're, you're put in this position of being woke. And like, I mean, if you are, (laughs) if you're doing the right things and ideally you're influencing people and their behaviors or at the very least inspiring someone to think about these things right that's exactly you have to spread that message somehow if if you don't tour really like it's kind of hard 
I mean, you, you can't make any money, first of all. You can't continue to make a, a career. But, no, it very much is something that I think about a lot. You know, and on an individual level, we've really, my wife and myself have really tried to limit our plastic usage this year. We've ri almost entirely cut out meat from our diet, you know. We, these are the little things I think you can do. Yeah, little things to make a difference, definitely. Yeah. I know you're in a band, well, you were in a band called Bright Moments. Yeah, that's... Your I mean, ba is that Kelly's band? Yeah, that, like, I <laughs> write all the stuff and Amazing. record most of it. Um, Have you any plans to... There's a record that's finished... Oh, wow. Um, ...that I've been sitting on for way too long because my label didn't want to put it out um they kind of have shifted gears a little bit it's david burns record label walkabop he's not really a part of it anymore but they had a moment where they put out a bunch of like sort of more contemporary uh, artists and then they sort of pushed back from that and went more into reissues um, which is what they were originally sort of like a reissue label i gotta figure out the sort of proper way to release it um problem is I don't really have any desire to tour that because I have a child and if I leave you know if I have to leave I want to be leaving for something that's actually gonna like bring food to the table rather yeah. than spend money you know a lot of bands have this problem these days and it's very rare that that a band can break you know what I mean mm, yeah absolutely. on the other hand it is really easy to make records on your own now and it's a, a lot easier now than ever before to get licenses. Um, so, you know, that, that's kind of what happened with the first Bright Moments record. Um, I toured it a little bit, but then what it was more than anything was sort of like, so David Byrne heard that and he was like, oh, well, do you want to work with me now? Do you want to, like, I was the music director for the David Byrne St. Vincent tour. So that... I would not have gotten that opportunity had I not made a solo record. So, and that was just by being on the same label as him well, with your he, Yeah, he, so he, he, he's kind of a silent partner in the, in the label. Yeah. And the guy that runs it put the record out, sent it to David before it came out. Yeah. And the way, <laughs> that timing was not great because uh, I was, the record was coming out and I was getting ready to do a lot of touring with it. And then David was like, oh, do you want to join this band for the next oh. two years? So do I say no to David Byrne and Annie and, like, focus on my project that may or may not do anything or go work with, like, an idol, two idols of mine, you know? It was an easy, pretty easy decision. However, the record suffered because of that, and that's partially, probably part of the reason why Walkabop didn't want to deal with me for a second <laughs> record because... I'm sure they knew that I I didn't have much of a desire to like go hit the road with the project that was probably not going to bring much bacon to the table. That's it. After the gig tonight, you're going to go fly back to the US? Yeah. You got some time off? Yeah, we're going to take a lot of time off now. Brilliant. Um, Josh is going to take some time. We've been working on the new Father John Misty record quite a bit. I don't have too much coming up, just like some recording stuff, try to get my record out. I work a bit on this show, Bob's Burgers, and there's a movie coming out that I'm hopefully going to be involved with. And yeah, I get back to Portland and, and kind of just and feel home for a bit, spend some time with the kid. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I hope you have a lovely time doing that. Yeah. Meanwhile, we have a gig to do. Yeah, let's we? do it. So thank you very much, You're Kelly. You're welcome. My pleasure. Thanks so much to Kelly for taking the time to talk to me.
I find it fascinating to hear about his time in New York at Verve Records, the rise of music piracy, the deterioration of record sales and the success of the internet to attract audiences for live gigs. Interesting to hear how Kelly's international tour life routine differs from touring back home. And of course, the dilemma of how to tour internationally whilst being aware of the damage it causes to the planet. Obviously, flights are off right now and we're all seeing the good effects the lockdown is having on the natural world. It will be interesting to see how things change when the world opens up a bit again. Could it be that we're learning some lessons right now? You'd like to think so, wouldn't you? Anyway, if you'd like to listen to Kelly's music, and I suggest you do because it's wonderful, you can download his albums at brightmoments.bandcamp.com. That concludes this bonus episode of Journeys in Jazz. If you enjoyed it, please like and subscribe and where possible rate and review. It really helps to spread the word. The whole series is now available, so if you haven't heard my other six episodes, treat yourself to some lockdown listening. You can also find us on social media at Journeys in Jazz. For now, sending you very good wishes, good health and happiness. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 